Hello and welcome to Monday. This is this is a pretty Monday Monday, I'm not gonna lie. The weekend flew by so much faster than I was anticipating. I got very little done and due to uh, dog mom life, I also got very little sleep. Somebody got into my briefcase while I was in the shower on Saturday night and she ate eight ounces of whorehound candy and one of my uh, dessert pastries that had um, some Nutella in it. I spent most of the night monitoring the little girl, so I got very little sleep, and also during all of this, I had to go to work. Very, very tired today, so I will apologize in advance for my words not really being here, and I have very few brain cells, and I have not had coffee yet. Without any further ado, though, I do want to get into today's episode. I have an interesting segment for you here for um, On Today in History. This is kind of a, a little bit darker, but not like too dark. And uh, the devotional today is actually an expanded awareness meditation. And this is something that I really enjoy teaching. So without any further ado, let's just get right into the meat of the episode. The Valais Witch Trials of 1428 were a series of trials and executions that took place in the canton of Valais, Switzerland. The main event was kicked off by the issuance of an edict by Duke Amadeus VIII on August 7, 1428. This edict ordered the arrest and execution of those accused of witchcraft. According to this document, the public talk or slander of three or four neighbors was enough for arrest and imprisonment, even if the accused was a member of the nobility. The use of torture was reserved for victims who were, quote, slandered by five, six, or seven or more persons up to the number of ten who were qualified to do so and not under suspicion themselves but also those who were, quote, accused by three persons who had been tried and sentenced to death for the practice of sorcery. This proclamation was issued as a wider plan to rid the canton of Valais of all sorts of evil and superstition. The origins of the Valais witch trials can be traced back to a mix of factors that converged during this tumultuous period. First and foremost, Europe was undergoing significant upheavals due to the religious conflicts, most notably the Protestant Reformation and the subsequent Counter-Reformation launched by the Catholic Church. The suspicion and fear surrounding witches and their alleged connections with the devil were fueled by religious authorities who were seeking to consolidate their power and supposedly root out perceived heretics. But we all know it was really about power, as everything is. Additionally, socioeconomic tensions were involved. The Valais region, like most of Europe, was experiencing periods of famine, crop failures, and disease. 
In times of crisis and uncertainty, people often sought scapegoats. Marginalized individuals such as elderly women and widows made for convenient targets. Vulnerable groups were already viewed with suspicion, and it just made them easy prey for these witchcraft accusations. The charges against those accused of witchcraft ranged from being able to summon spirits, to casting spells on others, to creating potions and performing other forms of divination. And in addition to those actions, those charged were often accused of associating with demons or the devil itself. Accusations of witchcraft in the Valais region were often triggered by unexplained misfortunes or calamities within the community. Individuals believed witches were responsible for such hardships, and they believed witches invoked malevolent powers to bring about suffering and destruction. Consequently, neighbors, acquaintances, and even family members would accuse each other of witchcraft. The accused witches were subjected to grueling interrogations, often involving torture, to extract confessions. The methods of torture ranged from the notorious water ordeal, where accused individuals were bound and thrown into water to determine their guilt, because that's not illogical in any way, to other gruesome techniques such as the rack and thumb screws. Under such extreme duress, many innocent people confessed to crimes they've never committed and also implicated others in the process, thus perpetuating the horrific cycle. Those accused of witchcraft were tried by jury, except it was not a jury of their peers, and it was almost entirely a jury of those with an agenda. If found guilty, they were executed. These executions often took place in public, and as a result, the event became known as the Valais Witch Trials. These trials continued until 1445 and resulted in the death of around 300 people. In recent years, there has been much debate about the Valais Witch Trials and their legitimacy. Many argue that those accused were persecuted for the beliefs or because of societal prejudices while others contend the trials were conducted fairly and impartially. Whatever the truth, the Valais Witch Trials remain one of Switzerland's most famous historical events. The Valais Witch Trials have been commemorated... Commemorated? I haven't had any coffee yet. Have been commemorated in multiple ways. There have been books plays, and films produced that explore the events of the trials, including Midsummer's Day and the film Witch Hunt, which was released in 2014. The Valais Witch Trials were also immortalized in art as well. 20th century Swiss artist Paul Clay produced a series of paintings known as The Witches of Valais, which depicted scenes from trials and also the executions. The work has come to represent how superstition can lead to injustice and how persecution of individuals for the beliefs should be avoided in pretty much any society. Clay's paintings are now housed at the Kunstmuseum Basel and they are used to educate people on the legacy 
of this important yet deeply dark and horrific period in Swiss history. The town of Martigny in Switzerland hosts an annual festival to celebrate those who lost their lives during this event. There are candlelight vigils, and the festival serves as a reminder of the importance of protecting human rights and freedoms. And it is also a unique opportunity for people to learn and explore this horrific, I keep using that word because it was horrific, an event in Swiss history. I was speaking with a friend recently about what it means to be yourself and how do you know what that is. And this is something that I think plagues most of us, especially as we age and some of us are entering middle age. But I think the answers tend to differ based on whether or not you have a rich inner spiritual life or you don't. So I've asked this question of a lot of people. And the most recent time I asked this of an atheist, I was given back a list of accomplishments and personality traits. But whenever I ask this question of someone who is more spiritually inclined, I tend to be met with despair. It is a question that where the answers are are ones that are not so clear. And I think part of that is because when you're a spiritual seeker, you end up on this path because you are looking for what's more. You are looking for the other. You are looking for explanations that you've not been able to find in the mundane. So when I ask, who are you, to someone who is spiritually inclined, I tend to not just get a list of personality traits and accomplishments back, but I tend to get questions back. Like, what do you mean, who am I? Do you mean who am I as a human? Do you mean who am I as a spiritual being? Do you mean what's my essence? Over the years that I've been doing this ministering and spiritual counseling, what I think tends to be generally overlooked when people are talking about figuring out who they are and stepping into their authentic oneness is the concept that who you are is not about your personality, it is not about your accomplishments, it is not about your emotional responses. You are a soul. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. You are you are a spark of the divine. And for someone who is more logic and rational oriented, it is a maddening topic because you can't really explain that. And how do you explain the essence of your soul to someone? Especially if you don't know if they'll even understand what that means. So, 
people will list off their accomplishments or they just ask questions back at you and you never really get to the root of the question. But something that I've found over the years is it's easier when you stop conflating the mundane, so the personality traits, the ego leanings, the emotional responses, even your consciousness and your body of knowledge. When you stop conflating those with who you are, you at least become more clear on who you are, whether or not you can articulate that to someone else. And one of the easiest ways that I have found to demonstrate that you are not this amalgamation of mundane, you are not your personality traits, your emotional responses, your ego, is through something called an expanded awareness meditation. And this is an exercise that I guide you through to demonstrate that you are not just the surface level of what is going on in your head. You are not surface level. You are not just a personality. You are more than that. You are awareness itself. And this awareness only comes from a divine source. And in today's uh, devotional, I'm going to walk you through this expanded awareness meditation. Now, this is a more advanced meditation exercise, but don't feel as though you can't just give it a go anyway. It takes practice even for people who have been meditating for a very long time because you are zooming out on your awareness. So I'm going to guide you through acknowledging and being aware that you have a thought to being aware of the awareness of the thoughts, to being aware of aware of the awareness. And we're going to zoom out like that until you have these, these fractal levels of awareness and you start to see that you still exist even though you're so far removed from the thoughts, from the emotions, from the ego. You still exist in all of your divine beauty. Without any further ado, let's get right into today's meditation. Find a comfortable seat in a chair or on a cushion. Sit with your spine tall and neutral and your shoulders relaxed. Let your palms rest in your lap or on your thighs in a way that promotes relaxation in your shoulders. With your eyes closed or your gaze low at the ground ahead of you, breathe slowly and quietly in and out through your nose. Guide your attention to your breath. Let each exhale be as long as each inhale.
starts a breath that reflects the qualities you would like to see in your mind. Patience. Steadiness. Spaciousness. And ease. Continue to focus on your breath with about 25% of the effort of your mind. Zero in on your breath, but with an attention that's not too tight and not too loose. With another 25% of your mind, notice whether or not you're still paying attention to your breath. Each time you find your mind has wandered, gently bring your focus back to your breath. The second part of your mind acts as the noticer, the witness, not too active, but not too dull either. This is the awareness that tells you when mindfulness has dropped. This is the awareness that guides you back to mindfulness. Continue in this way, watching your breath and noticing when your attention has waned. Return to your breath as many times as you need to.
eventually we notice that even the watcher needs a little part of the mind to watch it too. With a third part of your mind, notice whether or not you are still aware of your mindfulness of your breath. Is the witness part of your mind doing its job? There's this third part of your mind that will notice that. What about the third part of your mind? Is it doing its job? There's a fourth part of your mind further back that is watching the watcher who is watching the watcher. and so on, and so forth. Back, and back, and back it goes. Follow for a moment the sensation of moving further back. Follow the sensation deeper into the origins of your awareness. witness. As your mind gets lost or confused or overwhelmed, just rest.
rest in the spaciousness of awareness. Awareness is limitless, without beginning and without end. spaciousness, the infinite, expansive awareness is you. Infinite in your ability to notice. Infinite in your ability to see, to feel, to listen, keep resting in this sensation of spaciousness. Rest in your open awareness. When you feel like your mind has gotten small again, closing in on one train of thought, one distraction, return your mind to your breath. Slowly repeat the process. The first part of your mind is on your breath. The second part is witnessing the job of your mind on the breath. The third part of your mind is witnessing the witness. The fourth part of your mind is witnessing the witness of the witness. And so on, and move back, and follow the sensation deeper into the origins of your awareness.
Pull back until you reach the sensation of open spaciousness again. And there you rest. There you remain. There you exist in a state of infinite potential. You exist in limitless awareness. You exist in limitless wide open space. Spend as much time as you would like in this state of infinite potential, awareness, and calm. And in your own time, whenever you are ready, see if you can hold that sense of spaciousness as you slowly open your eyes and return to the world around you.